0: tuesday night edition of the dunk time basketball podcast got a preview the 2017 nba finals perhaps the most anticipated nba finals in history as we've talked about on the show got to get to some news as well and then dan feldman joins to discuss the detroit pistons offseason we're sponsored today by stamps.com go to stamps.com click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in my code CAPSPACE, and you can get a special offer including a four-week trial plus postage and a digital Digital scale without long-term commitments, and SeatGeek uses that cap space code to get a $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase. Well, it is finally here, Danny. This is very sports centery, but what is the one thing that you are going to be focusing in on the most in this series?
1: what Stephen Curry we get. I mean, it has been lost in the shuffle a little bit because LeBron has been spectacular. LeBron has been the best player in the playoffs so far, but Stephen Curry has been closer to 2015-16 regular season form than he has been at any point since the injury. And that is a key part of it because the he really opens up Golden State's offense, and if they're scoring at the levels that they're at considering the defensive imbalance, I think this becomes a very different series
0: it's really hard to imagine Steph Curry having awesome games and the Warriors losing that's a good one I haven't heard that one discussed nearly as much by a lot of people for me it's the Kevin Durant LeBron James matchup both with Durant guarding James which I have been impressed with how he has done against him individually in the two games this season and then also on the other end who LeBron James will guard is he gonna be on KD because they really they got to figure out a way to slow down either Curry or Durant i imagine that they i mean this is what every team has done they've really focused more on curry and whether that's through switching everything whether that's through double teaming curry uh- Although the Warriors seem really to have pretty much figured out how to beat that strategy if you're going to double them. I mean, it really seems like the way that they're going to have to play Cleveland is switch everything. And so that Cleveland defense, in particular, I haven't picked one thing. So I guess that, that'll that be what I'm going to say is Cleveland's defense. You know, what are their strategies going to be? Are they going to switch everything and then just try to hold up and force the Warriors to go one-on-one? That's what I'm going to be focused on the most. But and that, of course, dovetails in with what you said about Steph Curry um let's start off talking about here continuing in that same vein when Golden State has the ball you imagine that Petrulio will go back to starting he's recovered from that heel contusion apparently he's been going through full practices what do you see Cleveland matching up with Golden State in their base lineups
1: I think they're going to want to at least start the game with Kyrie on Curry and well the big question there is going to be how they handle screening actions it doesn't have to be pick and roll people focus on that a lot you know did the Warriors don't run actually that much pick and roll, but they do a fair amount, not a ton, but a fair amount with screening actions. And I thought that particularly at moments in the Jazz series, those really opened up some of their best opportunities because both Petrulia and Draymond Green are both very good screeners. And if they do a good enough job sealing off Curry's guy, then they basically force the switches and gets into what you talked about at the beginning of the show. Yeah. And
0: that's why I would be very surprised to uh, to see conventional pick and roll coverage which with Curry involves basically double teaming at the point of attack. Uh, But I think when Kevin Love is involved, uh, that's what everyone except for Love. When Love is involved, they really probably have to trap. Now they're going to try, usually Love always guards whoever the center is for the other team, and Thompson in their base alignments will take a a power forward. So I think Thompson is a solid option on Draymond Green who can switch out uh, on the perimeter. And then LeBron James, uh, is he going to guard Kevin Durant? I mean, I think he probably has to. You know, I'm not really sure... the other options are i mean maybe that could be jr smith but then you've got lebron on clay thompson and that doesn't really seem to make much sense either because now you got to be glued to clay thompson you know i think cleveland's strategy generally has been to just totally take thompson out of the game and, and not really leave his guy with many help responsibilities um so I, I think lebron probably starts on kd your only other option really would be tristan thompson guarding kd and i don't really think while well, thompson is one of the best switch defenders that we have really just guarding like a great wing score like that having to come guard him coming off of screens uh in transition i mean i don't think that's really going to work that well so and then really i think the only other player that cleveland has to me that's qualified to guard kd would be richard jefferson and he has not played much and has not looked that great in the playoffs so far I mean who I maybe you could say J.R. Smith will get some time there, but then you're you're putting a bigger player again on Clay Thompson. It's uh KD is going to be a massive problem. And I think people who are saying that he's more likely to be the MVP than Curry, that's probably because I, I see Cleveland just not really having an answer for KD. And so they're almost like, let's not even try. You know, we'll just, he's he's just going to score. And he, if, if he scores one-on-one, he scores one-on-one, but we're not changing our defense. Whereas Curry, you know, we're going to have to double team him and Curry may get a lot of assists, maybe some turnovers in, in his bad games, Uh, but that we're not going to let Steph Curry be the primary initiator of the offense and beat us with his own offense. That's generally, it seems like, been their strategy, and that's generally, I think, been most teams' strategy, frankly, against the Warriors uh, when they're good defensive teams that really uh, dial in.
1: That ties in with something else that I think is a kind of a spillover effect of how they're going to handle those alignments is that the Cavs really have a shortage of quality help defenders and really it's LeBron and Tristan Thompson. And so depending on where those guys are on the floor due to the scheme and everything else, there could be these circumstances where Curry or somebody else breaks past the first line of defense and there's just isn't anybody with force there. And so if LeBron is guarding Durant, his best value in last year's finals was was as a help defender. Tristan, if he's on the primary act. Action, you're basically putting him in the same spot that Rudy Gobert was in last year. Or I mean, sorry, last se- two series ago. And I think that's going to pose some real problems too, especially considering the Warriors have a lot of guys that can finish open shots in the lane, just like almost every good NBA team does.
0: What about Kevin Love in this series defensively? I thought he was outstanding, played some of the best defense I've ever seen from him really throughout this entire playoff run, but specifically in the, the Boston series. But we've definitely seen a great comparison even with, that we brought up was how LaMarcus Aldridge and Pau Gasol were able to be effective defensively against Houston and then just were completely out on an island unable to do anything defensively against the Warriors part of that was due to the fact that Kawhi Leonard missed a bunch of time he helps them but still like the strategy of all right we're just gonna have this guy hang back uh which they don't really do that much with Love they brought him up to the level of the ball and it had him trap a little bit but then just or of course Love is a switch defender and certainly I mean I think the Warriors off ball stuff in some ways will be more of a problem for love because you know if love is guarding say Pachulia right and they run a pin down for clay thompson now love if he's got an emergency switch out onto clay thompson you know that's not something that he's really comfortable doing he knows the angles pretty well around the rim but if they're going to switch as much as i think they probably have to there's just because you you just can't play the warriors convention like no team i don't think maybe other than you know in this modern era of the warriors boston is the only team i think maybe memphis for a little bit in the 2015 playoffs is the only team that I think has had a ton of success defending the Warriors with conventional defensive principles where you're not switching a ton.
1: Love is similar in some ways to Kyle Korver in that they are players that can execute the scheme fairly frequently and that I think make nice intuitive plays. And so they can be a part of successful defense against most teams. And we saw that against Boston. I thought thought Love contested better than usual. He had some great deflections. I think he had six in game four and was doing a nice job in that way. But the Warriors run their offense differently through cuts, through screens, through off ball movement, and those intuitive plays are just less involved. There will be times when he'll see a pass coming, the the Warriors do a lot of kind of one read passes, and so he'll jump that, maybe they'll get a pick six or something like that. But by and large, the Warriors can use those advantageous positions to get better looks. And the problem for Cleveland is that they don't really have any other options. They can go with guys like Richard Jefferson, who are a little bit better, but like Darren Williams doesn't really fit in with with anything else. So I think it's going to be a real challenge for them in terms of personnel. And also, we've talked about this with Oklahoma City and numerous other teams before. It's that playing one way guys, or at least more one way than the other, can work in the earlier rounds in the playoffs. But eventually, those guys get exposed against the best of the best.
0: Someone for Cleveland in this series is going to have to step up and have a crazy series beyond the capabilities that we normally would expect for them. Richard Jefferson. Jefferson was the main guy who did that last year Uh, with his finishing, shot the ball well from three, gave them another guy who could switch. Maybe that'll be Jefferson again, although count me as skeptical on whether he can repeat his finals from last year, a year older and against a, a much better Warriors team this time around. Other than that, I mean, who? maybe it's Amon Schumpert who just, you know, they have him out there for defense and the Warriors kind of leave him and he starts getting hot and, and, and hits enough threes to stay on the floor and, you know, really make the Warriors pay for not guarding him. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe he's the guy. Maybe J.R. Smith just goes completely crazy from three-point range. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Channing Fry because it, it seems like Lou does not trust him a- against smaller ball teams. I don't think he played a minute of competitive action during the Boston series and uh that seemingly would augur that he's not going to play very much in this series um because it's just they got to get something from one of these wings, you know. Maybe maybe it's a different guy every night, but it's hard to imagine them winning games without contributions on both ends that are a little bit unexpected from guys like Shumpert or Jefferson or perhaps Smith, uh, more in a defensive role. Perhaps
1: they also probably can't go as much with Darren Williams and Kyrie playing together, which is something that has worked well at moments in time, especially when LeBron is out. Just because the Warriors play so many big wings, and there are ways that they can exploit that. And I mean, in some ways the Warriors aren't really going to use that second unit against that group but I just there aren't as many counters that Cleveland has and you're right I think somebody's going to have to step up but my estimation would be that it'll be a game-by-game thing I think JR will have some nice performances depending because if they're probably going to have Steph Curry on him a fair amount and so how they run all that I think he could step up maybe you know Corver has a game RJ has a game and these teams are close enough that they're not going to need that much variance to be competitive but to win a seven game series is still awfully tough
0: another th- thing we may see is if they're gonna you know conventional defense on dho's or picking rolls with kevin love where they they're gonna be effectively double teaming the ball maybe on those plays they're just gonna leave andre Iguodala wide open or they're just going to leave draymond green wide open Uh, sean livingston certainly is going to not get guarded very much when he's in the game although they've started having more success now too uh, with using iguodala livingston as the screener most teams now will put their their big on, on one of those guys when the warriors go small with green at center um, and Iguodala's is three out of 27 on threes in the playoffs. So uh, that could be a, l- a little bit of an issue. Also just him not having the juice off the dribble, right? If you're having Iguodala set the screen, you throw it to him in a short roll situation, green, same thing. If he doesn't want to take a pick-and-pop three, then you can just kind of hang back under the rim and say, all right, you want to just go right at whoever this is under the rim? You know, do that. You know, we're going to stick to the shooters, and we'll just kind of have a two-on-one down under the rim with whoever's in the dunker spot. Uh, But, you know, there may not even be somebody right underneath because they would have so much shooting on on the floor around him as well. Now you've got Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson around those type of pick and rolls so it's a lot harder to even bring one person who can help under the room on those plays the Warriors give me your prediction for average number of minutes with Draymond Green at center in this series
1: both steve kerr and mike brown have been reluctant to go to it i mean i remember back in game one of the Spurs series when they were getting housed i was complaining about that though some of that was draymond getting in foul trouble yeah and it may
0: have been iguodala's injury as well true that
1: that could have been as well i'm gonna say probably about 15 minutes i would have it be about double that if it were if i were if it if draymond's amenable to it but 15 seems about right
0: i I think they're definitely going to try and get it done conventionally and if they lose a game one of the first two games at home or they get way down in the game you could see that change but it could be you know they win the first two games at home and it's fine and then maybe they break it out more in game three as they're trying to put him away uh i still think that's their best lineup i think that you're giving kevin love too much of a hiding place i think that JaVale is really going to get worked defensively i think that the bigger reason though frankly that i think the warriors should go small is i think they're better defensively with that group uh with green at center against this unstoppable Cleveland offense. Uh but we're still looking at when the Warriors have the ball. I mean, I think actually especially if Iguodala is not at the height of his powers, I'm not sure that they're really even that much better, although they do run a lot more pick and roll when they have Green at center, which I think helps a lot. Uh and here's a stat for you. The Warriors is some of these are from uh, John Schumann. The Warriors have set just 41 ball screens per game. That's the fewest in the playoffs, but they have scored 1.24 points per possession after setting a ball screen. Uh Cleveland scoring 1.18 on 56 ball screens per game and part of that too on those ball screens is when they're in transition they'll set an early drag screen and so you're going to be skewed a little bit there because they set a disproportionate number of those screens in transition compared to a lot of teams but still that's just a ridiculously unstoppable number there when they really do decide to go to pick and roll and we may see a little bit more of that from Mike Brown based on his history and some of the comments where he just wants to simplify things and just let these great players. the guy in front of them.
1: I don't know if this necessarily fits in either box of which team has the ball, but something that will be very, very important in this series along those same lines is just how many minutes the Warriors best players play. We know where Cleveland is going with this because they've already done it. You know, LeBron will play heavy minutes. Tristan will probably play heavy minutes. Kyrie will play as many as he can. Love is the question mark just because of fit. The Warriors, their guys are averaging around 35 a game. Some of that is because of the blowouts and some of that is just because they've been very cautious. And if they change that, if it starts to go towards 40 a game, which is more like what what it was in their yeah, in competitive, competitive
0: games they'll play for in competitive games they'll play at least 40 it, the question is is it going to be 42 44 right you know is that is steph curry is he is he going to come back in before the eight minute mark of the second and fourth quarters you know that's that'll be a, an interesting one as well
1: and so how that ties in with the warriors offense is their worst stretches are when they have especially when they have curry and durant both off the four, but when they get into some of these kind of like limited star lineups and going with with more minutes for their best players reduces the amount of time those lineups can play together even if Mike Brown wants to keep that conceit so that will take away an advantage that Cleveland has defensively because you know that lineup with Clark and Thompson and Green and Iguodala and West is not the hardest lineup to defend if you can get you know if, if they're not getting in transition and so it'll be fascinating to see whether those lineups even get play in this series
0: yeah we have seen now they've been taking Durant out a little bit earlier bringing him back in earlier so it's really only. Been about two minutes of those lineups with no Curry or Durant, but that coincides with some of Cleveland's off-times most effective units, where they have LeBron James starting with a bunch of shooters around him at the start of the second and fourth quarter. And you know, he'll usually sit for maybe you know a minute and a half at the end of the first and third quarters. It's generally been although Lou certainly is not averse to changing that up at all. Whereas and I think because the Warriors' rotations are so predictable that Lou may be able to get an advantage with just certain lineups that he knows are going to be out there for two minutes obviously the one with Clay Draymond David West Ian Clark and Iguodala is probably the most vulnerable of those and I think especially if Ian Clark is going to be out there you know let's just run a LeBron pick and roll at Ian Clark every single time with all these shooters around and make Ian Clark guard uh I think we may see more McCaw but even McCaw is going to be is too thin to deal with LeBron so are they going to then have to go back to sean livingston that lineup well then they don't necessarily have enough spacing there because of that predictability you can set up a package where you say all right you know we've got two minutes here let's just pick at this sore and see if we can pick up four six quick points when uh steph curry and kevin Durant are out of the game
1: is there anything more you think on that end of the floor? Because there's a lot that I want to talk about when Cleveland is on offense.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A few other things. Uh, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are both shooting over 60% from mid-range in the playoffs. Uh, I do not expect that to continue because it just never continues for anybody. But if it does, it, that's going to be big problems for Cleveland because even if they're keeping those guys to more difficult shots, if they're making 1.2 points per possessions on the most difficult shots, you're probably in big trouble. And, and obviously, those guys are both both incredible shooters but you know you would expect high 40s at best not like 60 percent. another big big barometer for me for cleveland's defense and if you think back to those games one and two last year for example how many back doors do they give up on those split cuts out of the post uh, out of high post action where guys go back door you know is ian clark gonna get bullshit layups is clay thompson gonna get bullshit layups those really are gonna be a big concern for cleveland like if they're giving up those kind of points it's gonna be very difficult you know, if they give up eight points a game on easy back door layups that's a real issue either because they messed up switches or they weren't switching i mean and that's it's the off ball stuff like that really more than anything is probably why you need to switch so much uh, more even perhaps off the ball than on the ball with the Warriors because they run plenty of stuff like that they're smart they have great passers if you're going to give up those kind of buckets now you're just totally dead I mean they've got enough weapons when you don't just make defensive mistakes and give up a shot right at the rip
1: and along those lines Cleveland's transition defense is going to be another definitive part of this they've been better getting back than they were in the regular season but they're going to have to balance, and this ties in with kind of the other side of the four, how much they want to go for offensive rebounds versus how much they're willing to do it, because the Warriors put more strain on personnel in those circumstances. We saw Danny Green have some issues, and if Danny Green has trouble defending you in transition, then you know it's it's a challenge out there. So, I want to see how those choices happen and how that changes over the course of the series, because something we see with offensive rebounds all the time is that success changes strategy.
0: Alright, we'll talk about when Cleveland has the ball momentarily, but First, this from Stamps.com. Stamps.com saves you time and money, and you can use that to grow your business. I can mail any letter, any package. All I do is use my computer and my printer. I can print it out, and the mailman will pick it up from my home office. The post office in the town that I live in, it's not the greatest experience. There's invariably a line. I've never gotten out of there in less than 20 minutes, and it's 10 minutes to go and drive there. When I created my account, it just took me a couple of minutes. I didn't have to lease any equipment. There's no long-term commitments. Click print mail you're done also if you don't work the same hours as the people at the post office stamps.com never closes i do a lot of the work that i do for this podcast after we're done recording very late at night stamps.com still available for me if i need to mail something send a package whatever i need to do it's all the services of the u.s postal service right to your fingertips the offer that's available right now for dunked listeners if you enter that cap space code at SAMS.com on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Just type in that cap space code. They'll send you a digital scale, which automatically calculates your exact postage. They'll decide it'll help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. And you can just overall get a four week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long term commitments by using that cap space code. Once again, that's stamps.com enter cap space stamps.com never go to the post office again. All right. Same question now on the defensive end for the Warriors offensive end for the Cavaliers. What are you looking at? It's just your absolute number one question.
1: Can Cleveland generate quality shirt? shots reliably slash can they get the warriors in foul trouble i think those are kind of the same thing just because sometimes you have to choose between a foul or a good shot
0: so can they score that's your that's your big uh well no
1: it's not necessarily can they score because i'm not focused as much on whether the shot goes in as to whether they can get uncontested shots you know it's kind of like that's what i always look for in the first quarter of every single game
0: to me it's lebron james jump shot Last year, this is again per John Schumann, James was 42% outside the restricted area in the Cavs' four wins, 27 out of 65. He shot 24% outside the restricted area in their three losses. He was 6 out of 25. The Warriors have had success slowing down James when he can't hit his jump shot, which is something to say because even when he can't hit his jump shot, he almost always has played well in the playoffs since returning to Cleveland. Except that first year when both Love and Kyrie were out, he, he struggled a little bit. If he's hitting his jumper and you have to go over on the pick and roll, now you're just in huge trouble. Or if they try to run, Kyrie screening for LeBron and you can't go under and now you have to switch or you have to trap a little bit harder, it's so much harder to avoid the switch when you're worried about him taking a three. And James shot better on threes this year. I think he was 27% uh, overall in the playoffs. He's been outstanding from three-point range he missed a few at times during the ball Boston series but overall he's been outstanding he loves to take a step to his left and shoot that especially with late isos if james doesn't shoot well outside the paint i don't think cleveland can score well enough to keep up with this warriors team and, and and this warriors team that plays fantastic defense like that his shooting is what causes their whole system to break down uh otherwise they can go under on him they have the athletes to stay in front of him in an iso situation especially now that harrison barnes isn't there anymore and it, and it's AD. LeBron trying to go one-on-one against andre godala when he's at the height of his powers when it's someone like Durant, Draymond Green on a switch, even Clay Thompson has done a nice job uh in the post or in iso against James, but if he's hitting the jumper and now in the pick and roll, you're not able to force him to isolate, now you got problems.
1: I'm at the point with LeBron's jumper that considering how dangerous they are with everything else, I might even just concede it more frequently just to say that's the better, you know, that's the better poison in some ways. And yeah, he'll make them fairly frequently when he's on. But there when you go over a screens on him, it just seems like you're going to up a basket somewhere and i i think i just do that more frequently not every time you don't want to make it predictable because then you can game it a little bit but i think that teams don't concede it enough it's kind of like the idea we talked before about how teams don't trap russell westbrook enough just take away what other teams do better and concede what they do worse
0: here's another one this is also from schumann last time these teams played in a series curry was the defender on the screener 82 times so that's over 10 times per game and they only did it eight times a game in the first two games in part because curry i think sat both fourth quarters in those first two games uh but 66 times over the last five games curry was asked to defend a ball screen and the Cavs scored 1.23 points per possession when curry's man set a ball screen that is the one weakness in this golden state defense and curry certainly has tried very hard they have worked on that a ton this year to have him avoid switching you remember even that Kyrie three that was at curry's expense after jr set a screen to get that isolation so, and not only is that an issue for Curry in terms of his stamina, although the fact that he has Kevin Durant on his team now is, well, should reduce his offensive load and it'll hopefully help him play better defense from Golden State's perspective, but it also can get Curry in foul trouble. And that's another thing that I think is Golden State's Achilles' If you look at games where Curry gets in foul trouble and while Golden State is just a fantastic team and Kevin Durant gives them more consistency than they had last year, there is an element to this team that everything goes right so often that when things do kind of start going wrong and you just sort of like people start looking around if it's at home the crowd will get antsy and it's like what's going on like did our guys lose their superpowers like did curry lose the superpowers uh and then it feels like everything is going against them curry gets in foul trouble that exacerbates that you know i mean you remember just how they kind of melted down mentally in game six last year against the Cavs, for well, example, an even more so, recent example yeah. of that
1: was Christmas Day.
0: Yeah, yeah, you got in foul trouble on Christmas Day too. That's right. I forgot mm-hmm. about that.
1: So yeah, I mean, I think that the Warriors have have those kind of problems, and it's something worth considering. And also, both Curry and Thompson are not particularly good at dealing with foul trouble. Like they're they haven't gotten to that point yet where they actually, incidentally, Harden is one of the better guys usually at this, where partially because he doesn't play defense anyway, where he's too important offensively, so you just don't commit the foul, concede the basket whatever you need to do and clay is is more central defensively so it's even harder in that in that context and the warriors need those guys on the floor because they don't have any sort of like reasonable facsimile of curry on their roster there's nobody else who can do what he does so just concede him.
0: another aspect we mentioned james's jumper right like when he's hitting his jumper it's one of these things where there's just nothing you can do right Kyrie Irving is another one of those guys where you can defend them, and the Warriors often do uh, defend them absolutely as well as you possibly can. But the Cavaliers and and defending as absolutely as well as you can, that's generally forcing an isolation. The Cavs, however, have isolated on 15% of their possessions in the playoffs. That's the highest rate, up from 12% in the regular season, which is also the highest rate. And they're scoring 1.16 points per possession on ISOs, which is completely ridiculous. And so that's the other reason why you can never count out Cleveland in this series, because I mean, and we saw it in game five, I thought was even was the game where this was most the case. Like game game seven, the Warriors defended Cleveland really well. Uh, Game six, you know, was never close, but it was really game five where especially Kyrie Irving in the second half, Klay Thompson was just playing great defense on him every single time. You can also think he was still hitting ridiculous shots.
1: I mean, I think back to also to the Christmas Day game. That last shot, Kyrie's game winner, was incredibly well defended and Kyrie just drilled it in his face.
0: Yeah, that's a great point too. So... That's another issue. Just this aspect of Cleveland, like you just can't do nothing with them, you know. And aside from that, though, I do think Cleveland's offense can get a little bit stagnant, especially down the end of games. They actually have not played well down the end of close games in these playoffs. You remember some of those games against Indiana where they really struggled to score at the end of games, especially when they have a slight lead. It seems like they really just go into like we're gonna hold the ball and ISO. I mean, they get a little bit too. They just don't go early enough, especially LeBron. Like when he gets a switch he's just gonna hold the ball for like 10 seconds for no reason sometimes and I think you know you can do that when you've got Jay Crotter and the Boston Celtics defense I don't think you can do that against Golden State like they're just too good at loading up like if you have the advantage you need to attack quick before they can get their help in position and they obviously have a a ton of experience now dealing with James's isos and and Kyrie to a, a lesser extent is Kevin Love gonna play late in these games
1: the Cavs have certainly played really well offensively when he's been on the floor, but I think that their best lineups are probably going to be without him just because he's so he's so easily exploited just in terms of the way the Warriors run their offense. He's a very very good player. And Tristan Thompson has been so good defensively in terms of what Cleveland wants to run if they have to choose between the two, I'm choosing Tristan Thompson.
0: Yeah, and their hope will be that they don't. And their hope is also going to be that especially early in games they can get switches, go to love in the post and that he can at least draw a few fouls I mean that that's going to be another one too is like is love going to be able to work in the post off of some of these switches and certainly he's had series where Marcus Smart for example got completely torched in the post like he's beaten up on some of these guys that have tried to switch onto them can he do that to Clay Thompson or Andre Iguodala I don't think he can do it to Kevin Durant Iguodala I think generally has pretty been successful against him but you know if he can draw a few of those BS fouls where he gets away with some liberties with his off arm you know that's something that could put a warrior on the bench or just you know get him a, a few extra points help him stay on the floor same thing with his offensive rebounding that falls into that category as well and so I think one of the big reasons why I think Golden State needs to go to Draymond at center so much in this series is just to put Love in difficulty more defensively like don't give him a place where even with Petrulia, you know if you double team Petrulia on a on a pick and roll or you double team Steph on a pick and roll and role involving Pachulia... You know, now you're kind of giving it a bailout. You got to throw it to, to Zaza, and he's going to be kind of hard pressed to make a play. Whereas making Kevin Love guard someone out on the perimeter at the three point, have to close out, get back to the rim to help, just forcing him to cover ground is the big issue, as we mentioned with Gasol and and with Lamarcus Aldridge in the last series. You, you know, don't let him hang out in the area from 17 feet and in. Uh, that's a big reason I think they need to go with, with Draymond. And then uh, when the Warriors go with with Zaza at center I and mean, Kyrie Irving is going to be able to cook him all day in pick and roll he'll be able to get to his mid-ranger he's gonna he'll make him look exactly like they made Kelly Olynyk look and they'll probably try to bring Pachulia up higher to the level of the ball and see whether then Tristan Thompson can make a play and, and Thompson actually is relatively succeeded in that situation off of a, a pick and roll trap you, know, you remember there was that play where he just faked out Jalen Brown and just went in for a dunk his floater game has been pretty efficient traditionally although he'll only shoot you know maybe one of those every two games they seem to go in uh so i think that cleveland is definitely at their best offensively when love is on the floor that's very clear the question is just whether the warriors can make him pay so much that it just won't matter uh and, and love the way he's been shooting the ball the versatility with which he's been shooting the ball definitely has been an issue but if you're just spreading him out the hope for the warriors is that they can guard the principal actions with you know two on two or or one on one and not have to send help to open up those threes for
1: love yeah i think that's part of the goal and a, a fundamental point that i feel like we just need to put out there because it again because of the way that they've played through the playoffs hasn't been discussed as much the warriors have been incredible defensively so far and you have to couch that with the opponents they've had that have been missing players but they've allowed 99.1 points per hundred possessions during these 12 games and only 94.4 when draymond green is on the floor which is a, a good enough proxy for the competitive portions of games
0: yeah and it really is that defense that separates these two teams and so that's why the reason why i would favor the warriors but again you know cleveland just has so many of these x factors another one that we didn't mention yet is the offensive rebounding not only of love but tristan thompson who uh with his ability to draw loose ball fouls uh, keep possessions alive set up three pointers off of his offensive rebounds just tire the warriors out defensively keep them out of their running game with offensive rebounds by forcing them to foul slowing the game down Uh, that's another big x factor and again why anyone who's saying well the cleveland doesn't have a chance in this series and i don't think anyone's necessarily saying that because they have lebron and they they have all this great talent themselves but that's why it's not it's not kind of like well you know cleveland is just not quite as good as golden state they have things that they can do better than golden state and, and ways that if it's working right for them really no team can deal with it on the defensive end
1: also remember that the hamptons five that's the draymond most common draymond at center lineup they had a defensive rebound rate below 70 percent it was 69.3 in the regular season they've been very good defensively with those lineups anyway because their first shot defense is very good but exactly what i talked about earlier where if if it's just burning a team too often a coach will move away from it and tristan thompson plus kevin love when that happens are exactly the type of players that can make a coach second guess that instinct
0: Yeah. And that's going to be another one too. Like if they give up some offensive rebounds, if Kevin Love gets a bucket or two in the post, is Mike Brown going to stick with those smaller lineups with green at center? Or is he going to get cold feet and try to go back to Pachulia or or David West or McGee? I think just none of those three guys can hang against Cleveland's best lineups defensively. And so even if you're giving up some post ups or you're giving up some offensive rebounds i think you're just so much better defensively with your ability to switch across nearly every position that you stick with that regardless i mean unless it just you go through like two games and that lineup is just not working uh but and especially then what it can do pushing the pace as well just forcing Cleveland into more isolations the other thing about that unit too is if they do need to double team they have so much length and speed that they can actually recover back to shooters better than just about any other lineup in the NBA as well so if you really if you have to double team especially if it's I mean James is so difficult to double team but if you do double team him I what I say they should do is you front in the post if you have you know say Curry on it him and then when they have to lob it over the top you use that time to come with the double team and hopefully he's lobbing it you know just to get the ball in 15 feet from the basket and then a hard double to not let him get middle first before he throws the pass i mean he's always going to be able to throw a really good pass but you make it a little bit more difficult there same thing with love as well if you're going to double double out in the perimeter where with the guy with his back to the basket 18 feet away instead of all right we're going to let him pound dribble right into the lane and now we're going to emergency help instead
1: and while Cleveland. Cleveland is tough in some of those scramble situations offensively you know like they can they can just make you pay it's still better than the alternative
0: anything else you wanted to focus on here before we get to predictions
1: no i think i think we hit on a lot of it one one point you talked about the idea of cleveland people maybe not giving cleveland enough a chance in this series is just the idea of thinking of this as a game-to-game element and also there weren't I, i'm thinking back just kind of off the top of my head with last year's finals it was interesting how the games at oracle were closer than the games in cleveland you know games one and two were both competitive or was that was that last year or was that two years ago that both one and two were better
0: no it was two years that ago was two last years year ago. the Warriors blew them out in the first two games that's the, Warriors, right. the Warriors had a higher margin of victory than any team ever in the first two games of the finals last year
1: that's right I was the, the downside of the book is I was I was writing on the 2015 finals and I've tied the two together so much but yeah you're right all
0: right prediction time
1: I can go first it, I, I don't know if you listen to it but it's already out there I think Warriors and six is the is a reasonable outcome on talent it might be A little bit off of that, but I give Cleveland so much respect. I think that LeBron and Kyrie can put it together for any game, and I think Cleveland has a respectable chance of winning the series. But the Warriors are better; they're healthier than last year. They are superior talent wise to where they were last year. And I would say Cleveland is a little bit worse just because they're older in ways that don't that is not particularly helpful. Also, I don't think home court matters as much in this series. I think the Warriors can win in Quick and Loans Arena, and the Cavs can certainly win at Oracle. Both teams have done it in high profile circumstances. So Warriors in six, I'm pretty comfortable with it.
0: Yeah, I think I'll do Warriors in five. This has been our little dichotomy, which you have kicked my ass on these playoffs of you saying in six, even though it's the road team winning on the other team's floor, me saying in five or seven, you being right more often than me. But I do think that this Warriors team is just so good. Yeah, games are not played on paper, but I I think that they have been dealing with this for a long time. The disappointment last year that they are going to be locked in and that they just have a pretty good understanding Understanding of how to defend this Cleveland team and especially I think it's going to be such a step up from what Cleveland has been playing and I do think that I don't see Cleveland playing that well in the first two games I think it's going to I mean maybe that's just because we remember last year and, and how it happened but I don't think that Cleveland I think there's going to be a bigger adjustment for Cleveland than there will be for Golden State
1: I want to push back on that a little bit more on the Warriors side of it because they have a pen for just coming out flat in game ones and this could and should be the exception because we know they're not taking the Cavs lightly but they didn't take the Spurs lightly and they got worked in the first part of that game not only the overall you know 25 point deficit but just the beginning of that of that game and so we'll see if if that happens but if it does it's going to be in game one
0: yeah and i don't like to get into this stuff too much but as far as the mental edge you'd think that cleveland would kind of have it the pressure is not on them as much they don't need to redeem themselves from last year but you could also say that the fact that they have basically kind of played poorly and almost like cheated the game and some people would say it, it because you know they're, right, we don't need to try this regular season we'll just be great in the playoffs or yeah it's fine we could go down 2-0 to the warriors and 3-1 and we'll just come back and win it's like it's almost like that kind of behavior is has been Rewarded. I, I don't think they can afford that this year. To where if they go down 2-0 to this team, I mean, unless there are injuries involved, it will be a major issue for them. But on the other hand, I mean, playing at home to start with, and you know, the Warriors haven't been put under pressure really yet. But they have responded well when they have been down in these playoffs at times too, like that game one against the Spurs. Even though it, part of that was facilitated by Kawhi going out, I would say though that Cleveland has a little bit of the edge just in terms of like, all right, if they start struggling, it might not snowball as badly as it could for golden state as when and especially because like golden state can look so bad at times you know where just like curry will have the in, these inexplicable turnovers or just clay thompson won't hit shots or something and it's just like it's like what's going on here like why aren't we making shots like it, and it does seem to snowball a little bit but now we're, we're going too far into the realm of just these mental things that we really have no way of actually getting a handle on so we'll stop rambling here and uh come back with dan feldman for that Pistons offseason preview right after this from SeatGeek. SeatGeek has taken a process that used to be eh, like a 20-minute process maybe for me to get, to get tickets. I, mean, I remember when online tickets first became available in the early 2000s. I would go on to like 10 different sites trying to find the best deal. I didn't know which one had the best deal. Didn't really know like how much something in one area of the arena should cost versus another one. Now SeatGeek has eliminated that difficulty because SeatGeek brings ticket buying sites together all in their beautiful user-friendly app or website, depending on which you prefer. And then they also rank every ticket based on the level of value that it provides. So if you have a certain section, you just go on there, pick whatever they say is the best value ticket, and you're done now. You spent 90 seconds instead of 20 minutes trying to figure out which seats you're going to buy. Another thing you can do too is set price alerts. So if there's a certain event that you want to go to, if you want to either find something that has a, a high deal score or something that is below a certain price, SeatGeek will send you an alert if and when such a ticket becomes available. So we get started with SeatGeek. Download that SeatGeek app. Go into the settings tab. Click on Add a promo code and enter that promo code CAP SPACE. Easy to remember because we talk about CAP SPACE all the time on the program and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you make your first purchase. Once again, that's the SeatGeek app, promo code CAPSPACE. Well, Dan, I'm glad that you had uh, about three minutes here to discuss all the options for Detroit's (laughs) offseason.
2: Match KCP, the end.
0: (laughs) We we covered it. We didn't even need the full three minutes. Yeah, well... (laughs) so I mean I guess we can explain why it is that their options are so limited at first off
2: well they've they've signed a a bunch of long-term contracts they're locked into Andre Drummond Tobias Harris Reggie Jackson John Lure Boban Marjanovic ish Ish Smith Marcus Morris Stanley Johnson Henry Ellenson I mean you can go all the way down the list a a bunch of players who are solid rotation worthy uh, but all mostly coming off down years so have very little trade value uh, and I don't think the Pistons will want to sell low maybe they will maybe they'll value a shake up more than I think. Uh, But it seems like, well, rather than sell low on these guys uh, and try and clear cap space and do something bigger, uh, the goal probably should just be to run it back and hope players improve their trade value.
0: Yeah, I I would think so. I mean, and it's important to remember that before the start of last season with these same players, we were maybe talking about this team as potentially being a team that could get into the high forties, low, low fifties and wins and saying that Van Gundy actually had done a pretty good job. And I think if Reggie Jackson has the same year last year, last year that he had two years ago that wouldn't have been unrealistic i mean they were playing 500 ball when he was out to start the year and it looked like oh wow when reggie comes back like they'll really be in good shape but then he never really got right it it seemed like um where are they just in terms of like the, the raw numbers on their uh cap situation here you know with and without uh kcp
2: uh, so well, I, I think we should really only be covering with kcp the pistons have sent out pretty yeah. strong signals that they'll match anything uh, so whether another team makes an offer he signs an offer sheet and they match or whether they just resign him I, I can't imagine him not being there unless the small chance i'd give is if it's part of a larger sign and trade uh, and then that would change all these numbers anyway uh so they're, yeah. they're definitely gonna be over the cap uh probably about uh five to nine million in that range over the tax uh once we see where the tax line actually falls and and what they do with some smaller moves
0: yeah i've got them without kcp and without aaron baines who i guess we can get to in it in a second too i have them basically like a little bit over the cap with their number 12 draft pick this year and depending on whether they hold on to darren hilliard or michael benajay uh did i pronounce benajay's name right
2: yes you did ah
0: nice um bain has a 6.5 million dollar player option and then kcp do you think it's fate complete that he gets the max at this point which would be 25.3 million uh
2: not quite but something close to that uh you know i think there's a possibility that other teams know the pistons are going to match aren't really interested in an offer sheet uh, and the pistons can talk him into taking a little less for the security of a five-year deal potentially he might even value a shorter deal more than that so so it it's a, could go a few ways but i think there's at least a chance that it's somewhere between the full max another team could give and the full max the pistons could give
0: yeah kcp right now 24 uh coming out was one of the few pistons actually that i thought had a good year relative to expectations last year it shot it well from three an excellent one two defender uh gets out in transition really well Uh, excellent shooter so i mean not nobody's idea of a superstar you know this is one of these like everyone bangs their head against the desk because oh this guy this is a max guy like But, you know, there just aren't that many guys out there who who do what he does, and especially just who are young. I'm trying to think of who the threats are, though. I mean, you have to imagine that at some point, if they strike out on their initial guys, that Philly would come with a max offer. Uh, But the nature of restricted free agency is, you know, you can't really even now get a decision on that offer until, what, July 8th. Uh, It's one day shorter now than it used to be. It's two days after the moratorium. And so you're really locking up your cap space. If you're a team that has other priorities, you could very easily sign people. And then he is... a little bit out in the cold as far as finding that long term deal, though he is represented by Clutch Sports and Rich Paul, which you know they are not afraid with as we saw with Eric Bledsoe and uh with Tristan Thompson of letting the restricted free agent process uh play out deep into October.
2: Right. Even unrestricted free agents, they did it with jr Smith, yeah. uh they did it with Kaveen Seraphim. Like that's that's their move, is just to wait. So yeah. I definitely wouldn't be surprised if this KCP free agency drags. Close to training camp,
0: yeah. So I mean, so Philly. I mean, I think the Brooklyn yeah. uh, w- would be the two you would look at uh, that might give him a big offer. I, I think Minnesota, uh if they strike out on everybody, would be it would be a good idea. Philly already has a shooting guard. Sacramento already really has a shooting guard. I mean, those are the teams that you look at as having just you know oodles of, of space and aren't that good. I, if I were the Knicks, I certainly would be thinking seriously about him. Although they desperately need a point guard and may not have quite enough space. Miami, if they strike out, I mean, there, there's uh, the late is supposedly going to sit things out uh depending on what happens in indiana you could see maybe them trying to get up there but uh so there's uh there are definitely some teams that could you denver really seems kind of set at the shooting guard position so there's some t- a bunch of teams that like and this has got to be difficult for an agent too because if the pistons come with it to him with an offer on july 1st that's like you know five years but three four million dollars short of the max per year do you want to sign that or do you want to just kind of hope that one of those teams will because will, i bet a lot of those teams are going to be saying well you know what if like if we strike out on some of these guys then we'll give you that offer but you know we're not sure whether we're going to or not it, it would strike me as unlikely that on july 1st one of those teams is going to go to rich paul and say like oh yeah we'll for sure give you a max offer right now
2: well the nets could i think
0: they would be the one yeah
2: that could because what else are they going? but they're do? not gonna they know they're not gonna
0: get him though right like what sure. and I mean they're, and they're think of for example with the Nets, there's probably a bunch of teams that at the very least the Nets would be want to be like, Hey, we'll take on some bad money to help you out so you can now go sign your own free agents, like that kind of timeline. If you have to wait eight days, that, that those deals could disappear for them, or you know, anyone else they wanted to sign for that matter. So I'm I'm sure sh- sh- he's gonna be fascinating to see.
2: Well, at the same token, if the Nets do that to the Pistons, if they put this max offer out there, uh they could be the team that takes some salary the Pistons have to unload. I don't know uh, how much luxury tax if any the Pistons would pay on this roster and that's the range they'd be in uh, so they could force the Pistons to be the team that sends them a draft pick or some other positive asset to take salary
0: yeah so if KCP gets the max uh and then Aaron Baines does not opt out of his 6.5 million dollar player option they're looking at before they do anything else 29 million dollars over the cap and a little over 9 million dollars over the tax and they'd be paying 15 million dollars in tax payments for a total team salary plus tax of 145 million this is an issue you've been following for a long time with tom gores he said that he'd be willing to pay the tax potentially for a winner but we don't know whether this is a winner like what, what do you think the current status is on how much tax they're willing to pay
2: yeah i could see them going into the season uh, a little over the tax line because obviously the tax isn't determined till the end of the year right uh, and just seeing how it goes they're moving into a new arena this year they want to have a little excitement with it i don't think they want to move into the new arena with like the label of the team being oh they just threw away a a good player or two to save money like that's not the image they want right now uh and if they're winning maybe they'd stay over the tax if they're losing and fans are sort of losing interest midway through the season anyway uh, they could make a move mid-season so i wouldn't be surprised if they entered the year above the tax line uh but i would be surprised if they stay above it while losing
0: so uh, aaron baines has been a, a frequent whipping boy on the <laughs> dunk down podcast especially two years ago when he signed a, a three-year deal uh, for almost 20 million dollars and he has a 6.5 million dollar player option the rationale for signing Boban, who's making seven million this year, seven million next year, he had a three-year, twenty-one million dollar deal they signed from the Spurs. The rationale for signing him was that Baines is going to opt out for sure. We're going to lose him. We'll need like a a backup center. Do you think it is certain that Baines does in fact opt out of that at, at age? Thirty,
2: certain no, uh, but the the Pistons are, have kind of put themselves in a weird place because Stan Van Gundy's been talking about for a year. Oh, Baines is going to opt out. He's going to opt out and get way more money than we can give him. Uh, basically, implying he's going to get more than the early bird exception, uh, which that seems a little far fetched. Maybe he can get more than the six and a half million, uh, but but more than one hundred seventy five percent of that, I I don't think so. Uh, so I don't know if Van Gundy is just that high on Aaron Baines. Here's the one thing we know about Van Gundy: two years ago, nobody the league wanted to pay uh, Aaron Baines as much as Van Gundy did nobody valued him more than Van Gundy then uh, that still might be the case and maybe this is just Van Gundy's flawed perspective uh, maybe part of this is especially at this point he's trying to convince Baines to opt out like yeah. oh yeah you're gonna get so much money and maybe he's just trying to talk him into it a little implicitly I'm not sure uh, but I, I think at this point Boban is ready for for a bigger role he's looked good in limited minutes in Detroit he's looking at he look in limited minutes with the Spurs like I think you you need to give him that role and if Bane's opts in I think you have to deal one of them
0: yeah and they still got lure who can be a more mobile center option at times when Boban doesn't really work now you know th- th- it's a lot of money that they spent on their backup front court and, and also don't forget th- th- I know you haven't but our listeners may have they're still paying uh Josh Smith uh, 5.3 $5. <laughs> $5. million dollars per season for the next uh, two years after just straight up stretching the remaining money uh, on his contract um rather than trying to deal him in some way although maybe given what happened to him post career that uh post pistons that may not have been possible uh maybe the league knew that he wasn't any good anymore um so who do you think let's say if baines does opt in now you have to pay kcp it would seem like they're gonna make some kind of a dump in that situation Uh, would baines maybe be the guy that they would try and move there uh you know with one year 6.5 million left even if he opts out it seems like at that point you're so close to avoiding the tax that you might as well just try and do it but there aren't any like obviously movable salaries here right Uh,
2: that's that's sort of the issue uh, with everybody and that's why. I wouldn't be surprised if they they go into the season over the tax because everybody's trade value is down. Uh, I think you look at where you have a little bit of a surplus, maybe more of a luxury than you can afford, uh, and that's with those forwards, uh, those stretch fours: uh, John Lure Tobias Harris, Marcus Morris. Uh, Tobias Harris might be the one to move to get the most return, uh, but for that same reason, maybe you want to keep him. He's still young. He could be part of the future. Uh, the one I'd look to dump sort of would be John Lure. Uh, he really fell off late last season though, and uh, the time to move him in hindsight, probably would have been around the trade deadline when he was playing very well. He was uh, the Pistons' best backup. Eventually, moved into the starting lineup, but one of the better backups in the league, and uh, looked like a helpful player. And then he just fell off. I think. I think part of that was minutes. That was a, a bigger role last year than he'd ever had. I think it caught up to him. That's just a little bit speculation. A little bit watching him. Uh, but you know, maybe he starts strong this year, and then you could trade him into the season. Marcus Morris would be a little bit more disappointing to lose because his salary is still so low 5 million next year uh but if you're if you're trading you got to give up something
0: yeah it would seem like their only contracts you would look at as a value contract uh would be morris and harris morris much more so than harris since he's only got 5 million next year and then the 5.4 the year after that and what has been an excellent value contract uh yeah i mean you could see maybe they would even just like try to attach Henry Ellenson to somebody and then... They like know, Ellenson. Maybe, I,
2: don't, I don't think yeah. they're trying to move him like that.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, and, and you shouldn't be probably because that's supposed to be your cheap production. And maybe maybe they think that if they were to move on from Lure that Ellenson could give them something similar to what uh, lure does. I don't know whether they think he's ready or not this year. Uh,
2: may- maybe he could offensively, maybe. Uh, but he's obviously yeah. not as polished as lure. But lure's a, a solid defender, a helpful uh, defender. Uh, when he's not overpowered... Uh, uh, Ellinson is not that nowhere near.
0: Yeah. So let's see here. What else did I want to talk about? Yeah. So I guess it's just some housekeeping Darren Hilliard non-guaranteed for next year, but guaranteed date of July 1st. And then uh, Michael binaget he's uh 500,000 guaranteed until July 15th. What's the latest on those guys? Do you think they could just move on from them? Uh, are they getting enough out of them where they would want to keep those guys on? I think they
2: would w- want to keep Hilliard. Um, um, he is a solid combo guard. I, uh, you know, I don't know exactly who their, their third point guard is going to be next year. Beno Udra is a free agent, but he'll, he'll, somebody you'd be comfortable enough when, when pressed into it, sliding over, giving those, those point guard minutes to uh, Benajay didn't get on the court lot. I was never really impressed with him. Uh, he's, he's going to be 25 uh, in about a week. And so he's getting kind of old. He hasn't really shown much. Like, yeah, this is why you, I don't really believe in drafting a player unless they're way better than Michael Benajay, who is a solid college player, but unless they're way better than that. I wouldn't draft somebody that old, uh, and so I probably wouldn't bring him back, but I
0: never would have drafted him. So the Pistons are obviously higher on him than I ever was so and then the, they have the the number 12 pick I don't see them trading that pick either I mean I still I think they they're hopeful maybe that this is their last time in the lottery so maybe maybe that pick if they can try to get someone who has some upside c- could be you know the one that pushes this Pistons core over the top as far as getting to be like a really good team in the next couple of years so I think it, it would be foolhardy to try and move that pick just for cost savings um what do you I, I mean they're obviously going to be very limited uh in terms of what they have. Maybe, maybe you could see if they can get off some money if Baines doesn't return. Maybe they get KCP for a little cheaper. Now then maybe you could see them using at least some of uh the taxpayer MLE, which is it starts at a little over five million dollars. This year you can give out up to a three year contract uh worth sixteen million overall. Um, do you think there's any chance that they could get to that point where they would actually be able to use most of, if not all, of that?
2: Any chance, yes, but I think the far more likely scenario. Is, is that they're going to round out their roster with minimum guys and and that's yeah. it uh I mean, it's. I, I guess we'll have to see exactly where the tax lands uh, and what KCP gets, but but especially if the KCP saga is dragging out, uh, then you don't want to sign somebody and get pigeonholed into a position where you you have to trade to duck under the tax when you don't want to. Uh, so I think they'd be cautious with it. And here's the thing: for as underwhelming as this Pistons roster looks right now, it's still fairly deep. Like there's no huge yeah. obvious weak spots. It's the problems are more higher in the pecking order, uh, and and so there's not not some obvious hole they need plugged. I don't think they'll spend just to have a little more depth.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, when I was kind of going through what their needs are, I mean, one of them is uh, a reliable creator in the backcourt who can also shoot. Well, hopefully that Reggie Jackson could become right. that guy again. Uh, I mean, you're not going to get that type of a player given the resources at hand here. Um, the other two things that I kind of pegged for them, uh, just overall smarts and passing. Like they just don't really seem to have that many like good vets who move the ball, nowhere to be. Uh, and then just like a backup shooter to replace like what Jody Meeks was supposed to be for this team once upon a time they still don't really have like a reliable backup two-man uh who can make a shot and i think especially on some of their second units that struggle offensively like getting a little more spacing it could be useful um are there any free agents given the constraints that we've talked about uh that you think they might want to try and focus in on
2: well I, I think some of that is draft dependent i agree with you that a a backup guard who who can shoot and move the ball but that would be nice like a, a better shooting guard because they play stanley johnson at shooting guard a lot i don't really like him there you put the ball in his hands more uh you're asking for a lot of problems some he'll force shots he'll turn the ball over like i'd rather have him off the ball more uh, the problem is stan van gundy likes to keep his rotation tight i'm not sure they could sign anybody who would crack the rotation even if they provide that other element i just don't think they'd play regularly enough over other players uh, they could potentially draft somebody who fits that mold uh, i A name I've seen them a lot is Luke Kennard from from Duke, who who could be that a little bit and probably wouldn't be good enough as a rookie to be definitely rotation worthy. Uh, But in some moments when you need that style, he could be there and you're, you know, we're obviously slotting in the the number 12 pick salary anyway. Uh, but I, I just don't see them paying a beyond the minimum to, to round it out. I don't think they're really looking at it as holes in the rotation.
0: Yeah, I, the, that might be true. And, and I mean, I guess if you do have holes, it's because like Stanley Johnson hasn't been good enough. You know, it, it's like mm-hmm. these guys that you expect to be like a major part of the team at, at some point haven't played that well and so those guys you would imagine are going to keep getting chances um stanley in particular so and and canard is an interesting name now that you mention it because stan van gundy of course had jj reddick got out of duke once upon a time and and canard a, a natural comparison with reddick somewhat well, similar well, aspects what, of what his makes camp.
2: him a natural comparison with reddick night
0: uh excellent shooter out of duke uh somewhat limited physically. Uh, negative Negative wingspan uh good passer smart player very smart what, player would you say
2: would you say he's gritty do you say he hustles uh no
0: nah, you know i wouldn't i never really put put uh either jj or uh or luke Kennard particularly in that category i
2: thought i thought all players like them you had to say they're they're hustle players and they're gritty Yeah.
0: although you know jj really wore a t-shirt under his jersey you know i'm not <laughs> sure that canard did that so may, maybe the comparison just isn't that apt Come to the like maybe maybe we're just being too super Official here
2: uh maybe maybe <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: all right so these are some of the names that i thought given you know whether it would be a minimum whether it'd be you know maybe you spend 2.5 million dollars of the taxpayer mle i think uh mike dunleavy would be an interesting name for the pistons hmm. uh i'll just name these guys off you see if any of them pique your interest at all uh ian clark uh justin holiday James Young uh, from the Boston Celtics, who uh, is almost certain not... Yeah. Oh, almost certain not to return there. Maybe a, a guy who might you know, provide some of those backup two minutes and then more on the veteran side, uh Leandro Barbosa who's uh may well get released. He's only got 1 million guaranteed this year from the Suns.
2: Yeah, I, I like all those guys. Uh I don't think they're going to be able to uh, necessarily like afford all of them like or any of them. Uh I think you just sort of have to see who falls through the cracks because I uh, barring a trade and depends obviously on what the trade is, I just Don't see them cutting into that MLE spending more than the minimum uh, because that could really hamstring them later. It's just not worth it. Like none of those guys, I would say, are likely to crack the the rotation, Uh, not because they would not provide a different dimension. But if you add them, then you're losing something from somebody else. Uh, And so I just don't think it's worth being potentially stuck in that bad luxury tax position for somebody who's not in your rotation.
0: How much pressure is Stan Van Gundy under right now after that bad season? This will have been uh now his third full season in detroit that was complete it seemed like they're on a good trajectory now they're not is and is there a concern that that pressure could lead to uh some other moves or does it not even matter because they're like so up against the tax they can't do anything worse th- financially than they already have
2: well i don't think the president is going to fire him as coach but otherwise maybe there's a little pressure now maybe a little uh, but this this is the advantage this is what stan van gundy wanted when he fought to be become a president coach it's he's insulated there's only one person who can fire him who can apply pressure it's the person who hired him and the person who can have the most long-term view and that's the owner Uh, and so i think there is a degree of patience Uh, i don't know if that'll start to wear out if they lose again next year but i do think relative to his record uh, van gundy should feel pretty safe
0: Yeah, uh, that makes sense. And I mean, I guess you you always wonder a little bit because uh, Arn Tellem was brought in. I'm not sure whether it's kind of to the side of him or above him. And I I think uh, it's to the side.
2: I I think that's that's sort of a a different focus thing and not so much on basketball operations. I don't know. You know, it's not to say he never gives his input or his opinion uh, and maybe would shift to that if the owner wanted to make a change. But I don't think that was the intent. And I don't think that's what Tellum's doing right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's always just like, all right, because he was mostly focused on, like, getting the stadium thing nailed down, right? Wasn't that, like, one right. of his the, the big things he was – so that's done now. Uh, he's still around. Uh, I mean, maybe there's other business stuff that he's working on. But it, do, it does seem like one of those things where, you know, he's not really doing that much if things – end up poorly uh, this year again that maybe it'd be like well we have this guy in the organization like maybe and and he really knows basketball he knows contracts and uh that maybe he could be thrust into a a larger role um
2: see to me it's more about uh i would think the way it'd be more likely to go is okay do we want to move on from van gundy or demote van gundy or or change something with van gundy like that would be step one and then a separate step two would be identifying who that next hire is and you can say well look at here's somebody we trust but i don't think because he's around would influence any pressure on van Gundy. i think if there is pressure on van Gundy and that causes a change then they might say well man we, we trust are tell him he seems to know what he's doing
0: so the future much like the present uh, there they don't have any significant money scheduled to come off their books next season uh, and so, you know, maybe Baines, if he opts in, that's really the only one. So they're really, they're going to be right back here the year after that too. You know, the, 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 other than just adding another draft pick, uh, and the cap is going to be pretty flat. I think, I mean, I think part of the, pro- the issue with their planning too, I'm sure has been. The cap this time last year was supposed to be 108. This year, you know, and they would have had a lot more breathing space than it looks like they're going to have. There's a lot of teams I think that really were thinking, "All right, you know, we could at least still add with some of our exceptions, even after we spent a, a ton." Uh, last year and now with the cap and, and now everyone thought that and they spent so much money that the cap is going to be much lower this year than it would have been uh because part of the reason it was uh supposed to be 108 was because the nba was projecting teams wouldn't spend that much and then they would have to artificially increase the cap for next year now that's not happening
2: and and i think i think that's absolutely correct and i think there's one other issue with their planning that has gone wrong which is uh there's value in continuity in general but i think maybe you've locked into a group of guys who aren't as comfortable with each other as you would have hoped Uh, And you saw that when when Reggie Jackson was out, then came back uh, and Reggie Jackson was was not right and was trying to figure out how to play. uh, And his teammates kind of resented that he was still shooting like he normally does when he's not as productive as he normally does. And uh, I think that breeded a little bit of animosity. And, uh, you know, I don't know if this is necessarily the group of guys you want to be locked into where when they did it, it seemed to make sense that, okay these guys are playing fairly well together. They traded for Tobias Harris during the season a couple of years ago. Uh, Things seemed to work pretty well after that. And it seemed like a decent group of complementary players to lock into. It hasn't quite turned out that way. And now that everybody's trade value is down, there's not a clear and easy way out of it.
0: Yeah, and it seemed... in their defense you could say well hey you know drummond has this small cap hold of like nine million bucks last year he's gonna get the max so this was basically mm-hmm. 14 million dollars last year and kind of use it or lose it space so we signed bobon signed john luer i mean we kind of we picked some of the best guys that were available in the market signed ish smith but now it really seems like with the exception of smith who i played a lot better than i expected him to last year and probably was actually worth his contract uh one of the few backup point guards signings who uh, one of the few signings anywhere that worked out (laughs) last summer um but now it really appears that I think you can get more impactful players, maybe than any of those guys, for just your full MLE this summer and certainly next summer. You know, so it, it seems like the, getting those guys, like, all right, you know, these maybe aren't the best values, but we'll never have a chance to spend money productively again. Let's mm-hmm. just, you know, blow th- blow through this. And, and now they're up against the tax with these bad contracts, so that appears like it was a miscalculation at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely did not work out well, uh, but I don't think it was a terrible plan to get into. I mean look if you're in a market like detroit your your paths are a little narrower you know you can't just wait for some superstar to to sign with you uh you you already have too much talent to really bottom out i don't think the the market or the owner was really open to that so you don't have a lot of pathways and like you said you gotta use that money last summer or lose it uh it just has not worked out well
0: well, last thing, and this is not very good drama because this is one of the least interesting things that we've discussed, but uh, <laughs> Reggie Bullock has uh, is a restricted free agent. Do you think he's just going to not get a qualifying offer at all?
2: I think he's probably in a vacuum worth the qualifying offer. Uh, But given the Pistons constraints, given that they're going to be up against the tax and that he probably wouldn't be in the rotation, I I guess I would slightly lean toward them not offering him a qualifying offer, not extending it. Uh, But I I think that's somewhat close to a 50-50 call.
0: Well, and the other thing to remember too is that if he does accept that qualifying offer just on a one-year deal, he's got a no-trade veto because he would lose his bird rights. uh So that you can't just say, "Oh, we'll we'll just pick that up and then try and trade him later." You know, you can't necessarily do that. If, if that's, that's a good point, it, maybe maybe some people were thinking. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think he he just it, it's been disappointing for him because he always looks the part of a three and D player, but then you know every time he starts to get some minutes, he'll get like another knee scope or something like that and, and go down. I still so I think. He's, it seems like though just not giving him a qualifying offer I mean, they can always just pull it later. But then, I mean, if he doesn't get any offers, then you're sort of in, in this situation where, uh, you're just like racing to see whether they're going to pull it first or he'll accept it first.
2: Well, well you can't, I, I got, I got to brush up on the new rules, but you can't pull it, uh, with as much, uh, you don't have the same yeah, ability it's to pull earlier
0: it now. It's, it's like, I forget the exact date. It's like mid, mid July instead of as like July 23rd, which is what it used to be. Um, um, but there's still, it, it doesn't, I remember seeing that like, and cause they're like, oh yeah, we're going to fix this. And it's like, it's still late enough that it's like, it doesn't really help that much. Uh,
2: they should, they should just be not be able to pull them.
0: Yeah. I, I think I, I kind of agree with that, frankly. Uh, yeah, or or maybe you can't. You can only pull it before the moratorium or something like that ends or something like that. But yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Like if you're if you're gonna lock someone in to then just be able to screw them over later if the market doesn't work out the way you want, like that does seem really unfair right. to me. But you know, it, it is what it is. As uh that, that's something <laughs> we'll be saying a lot with this new collective bargaining agreement. All right, buddy. Uh, thanks for coming on. Anything you wanted to promote in the meantime? Uh, we'll have
2: finals previews, a whole bunch of stuff. Myself, Kurt Heelan, and, and Dane Carbaugh throughout the weekend. Uh- uh, pro basketball talk.
0: All right, sounds good, man. And now that, that you've uh, turned over locked on Pistons, who's doing that now? By the way, uh,
2: Duncan Smith uh, from Piston Powered, and off to a great start. I I suggest everybody listen to that as well.
0: All right, uh, but right now this is the only place that you can hear Dan Feldman on the piston So uh, <laughs> that is true. Thanks for coming on, buddy, and looking forward to talking to you again for the mock off season, which is less than a month away uh, at this point.
2: Oh boy! <laughs>
0: All right, cool.